John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known." Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. Don't put that away too quickly. We've got a few more passages to get to this morning. So this is the second week of Advent, and we're working through, as I said, the prologue to John's Gospel. And I commend this section to you. Um, there is, there's so much depth and uh, so many different avenues and aspects to study on this passage. You can get commentaries and find tons of comments and basically just live for years in the prologues to John's gospel studying. And I commend that to you, but we don't have the time to do that. We are just trying to work through some of the highlights of of what John is communicating to us here in the prologue. Last week, we mentioned the, the... John's highlighting of the, these two realities of Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, that He has this eternality, that, that the Word was with God and He was through Him, all things were created, and if He wasn't there, nothing that was made was made. Jesus has, is with God the Father in eternity past, some of the mystery of the Trinity in being in that, this one being of God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of the Godhead. He is God. He exists in eternity. Yet, this God in eternity puts on flesh, the second member of the Trinity. Jesus has both this eternality, this largeness, and this humanness. He was before everything, and yet He still puts on flesh and comes and dwells with us. But we're moving on from that this morning. And there's a couple of themes that John introduces here in this prologue to the rest of his gospel that he's going to elaborate on. He returns to several times as he goes on with his gospel account. Um, This morning, one of these themes we're going to look at is you look at verse 4 in John chapter 1. All things, verse 3, all things were made through him, without him being Jesus 
was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life, the life, was the light of men. In the verse 4, we read that Jesus was the life, and that the life was the light of men. Two word pictures are given to us here about the reality of Christ. He is life, and He is light. Jesus, He is life, as life is the light, He is life. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. He is light, and He is life. And we see these two themes continue to be picked up through the Gospel of John. So then we we think, what does that mean? How can you say Jesus, who puts on flesh, the Word of God incarnate, meaning in flesh, the incarnation, the, the enfleshment of God, how can this boy, born in Bethlehem, be light. How can he be life? And what does that mean when John says, in him was life? He is life, and that life is the light of men. How, how can one person be life? I mean, it's a, we try to wrestle. So there's two ways we can try to think about how do we solve this, answer this question. We could all sit around and think, well, what does it mean? What's, what is life? And um, we could try to come up with all sorts of ideas. And what is light? And how, is, how you see things? And you could come up with all sorts of ideas. And we just kind of wander around together. And, and then we, we you know, just basically float ideas back and forth about what life is and what light is. And so, therefore, if, if this is what light is, and this is what life is, and that's what Jesus is, and we land somewhere that made us feel good, maybe like, oh, that... That makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe that's what John means. That's, that's one way we could do that. And uh, we would be no better off for the doing of it. We would, we would not have figured anything out except what we think light and life are and how we think Jesus is light and life. And sadly, there's tons of Bible studies today that do that exact same thing. Where you just kind of gather around and everybody tries to think up what something means and then you all go home and are any better off? Well, what's the other way? Well, what does John himself mean when he says, life, Jesus is the life, he is the light? If you are a student of the Bible, you want to study your Bible, this is just elementary helps here. There is one tool that is very a very helpful tool to you. It's called a concordance. Okay, so if you want to study your Bible, if you want to be a person who loves your Bible, you want to have at your disposal a concordance. And what a concordance is, you can get real old school, you can go buy a big, fat, strong, exhaustive concordance. It's a great big old thick book that would just help you. You would look up a word like light or life. And it would tell you all the places that is found in the Bible. If you have a nice study Bible, it would tell you, uh, you could, lots of study Bibles have a concordance at the back. If you have any modern technology, the apps are endless that would help you look up what does life and what is John's usage of this word life. There's nothing real fancy about a concordance, but when you're trying to answer a question like this, John says, in him is life, and the life was the light of men. The important thing to answer there is not what we think John means by that, but does John say what he means by that? Does John communicate further what he means by saying that Jesus is the life? If you look up that word in one of your concordances, you're going to find about 40 incidents of this word life. 
But the, the Greek word there, the zoe, is actually used 36 times in the book of John. 36 times John uses this word life. So if we want to know what he means by saying Jesus is the life, let's, let's hear what John has to say about this word life. There's a couple of huge discourses. One of them is in John chapter 3. So you want to turn back to page 1055 in your Bible. We'll look at John chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 13. You know this section if you've been around Christianity at all for verse 16. But we're going to read through this section here on down through verse 21. And just notice the use of the word life. How does John define what he means when he says Jesus is life? This is John chapter 3 verse 13. This is in the discussion of Jesus with Nicodemus, the teacher. And what does it mean to be born again? John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended, this is Jesus speaking, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, speaking of himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's that word. Whoever believes in him, this son of man who's going to be lifted up, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This passage is clear that Jesus is speaking of himself as one through whom eternal life is given. In as clear a speech as he can make it, he tells Nicodemus that whoever, verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. But look with me again. So this is, you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. But you look on down to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Well, which is it, Jesus? Is he He just said, whoever believes in him has eternal life. And then just two sentences later, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Well, which is it? If you believe in Jesus, do you get eternal life? Or if you believe in Jesus, do you get not condemned? Which one do you get here? Is he confusing or is this a parallel that Jesus is using? If you believe in him, you have eternal life, which is another way to say, if you believe in him, you will not be condemned. The two are connected. In order to have eternal life, you need to somehow avoid condemnation. If one does not believe, Jesus says, it shows that they are already in condemnation. Jesus is life because he brings eternal life, which is to say he frees us from our condemnation. 
Jesus is the life because he shows up to bring whoever believe in him, look to him, the one lifted up, would have eternal life, and he would not be condemned. Tied up in that, then, is this necessary realization. Apart from Christ, apart from his incarnation and salvation, we have no life in ourselves. And in fact, where we sit apart from Christ is under condemnation. If Jesus Christ has come, so whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, and whoever believe in him would not be condemned, that means those who are not believing are under condemnation. They are in their natural state already in condemnation. Now, I want us to think about this for just a second. I know this is against the whole Christmas spirit of of peace, goodwill, uh, good news, but this is such an essential part of understanding the good news. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you know yourself to be someone who is, apart from Christ, deserving of the wrath and justice of God? Have you ever done something contrary to God's will for you? Have you ever loved something more than God? That's called idolatry. That's called idolatry. Whenever you say, God, you're important, but really, I want this thing, whatever it may be, more than you, that is idolatry. Have you ever put your own self-interest above God's own interest? God wants your life to be this certain way, and you say, you know what? I know, Jesus, you want me to live this way. I want to live my way. That is what we call sin. That is transgression against God and against His law. And so... As a transgressor, you sit under condemnation. A holy and righteous God who has created you deserves all of your worship and praise and you thumb your nose at Him. And where that leaves you, all of mankind is under condemnation. Your reward, your just reward, is your condemnation and punishment for your transgression. We think, well, boy, Merry Christmas, Darren. Merry Christmas. But the reason why we have to see this is we bring this up at Christmas time for this reason. The measure of your woe. I think I put this up on the screen. I can't remember what all I wrote down. The measure of your woe will directly influence the volume of your wow over the rescue given in Christ Jesus. The measure of your woe. You know what I mean? Like woe is, woe is, it's not Charlie Brown. Woe is me. And there's a real biblical sense of if I were to be confronted with the God of of the heavens and the earth, the God of all righteousness, the holy God, if I were to be in front of him and a part of my own standing, just by lifting up to him my own works, who I am, what I have done, nothing but woe escapes my lips. Woe am I that I would stand before this righteous God. And when the measure of your woe, when you really get the weighty reality of what you deserve from God because of your sinfulness, then Christmas, the volume of your wow grows at Christmas. When you realize what Christ has done, is He has come to earth to take your woe so that you can rejoice in God and be reconciled to Him. The weight of your woe has a direct correlation to how loud your wow is on Christmas morning that Christ would save me That Christ would come and take my punishment so that I could be forgiven. He takes my condemnation so that I could be set free. This 
is what the putting on the flesh of the incarnation, eternal life for sinners, freedom for those under condemnation. This is how Jesus is the life. He comes to bring eternal life to all who by believing free themselves from the condemnation that is before God as a sinner. Look back also at John chapter 6. We've got to fly through this. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. This is page 1059 in your Bible. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there. Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. They see, they see the crowd, saw Jesus was not there, they themselves got into the boats, went to Capernaum seeking Jesus, and they find him. You know, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The food that endures to what? Eternal life, Zoe. For the Son of Man will, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to them, they said to him, sorry, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? After he's just fed the 5,000 with a couple of fishes and bread. They want more. What sign do you do? What work do you do that you may perform? That you perform? Verse 31. They say, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life. To the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. These are the words of Jesus. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40 is huge in our understanding of what John means when he says Jesus is the life. We see that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him has eternal life. Not only that, but this eternal life would mean they're raising up on the last day. Their, their eternal life means they're raising up on the last day. Do you see the largeness of what John is saying and calling Jesus the life. 
Not only did He start this whole thing, not only is He the one through whom all things were created, not only is He the one, like, first, like Colossians 1.17 tells us, that He's the one who, who in, in whom all things hold together. He, he keeps all these things together. He started it all. He keeps it all together. But He's also this one. He's this coming one who brings new life. And does it in the context of a rescue, giving new life to those who don't deserve it. This is what we see in the incarnation. The Christ putting on flesh. The one who created life enters into it, submits himself to the death that it brings, so that we who only can bring about death would be given the life that he has brought. I've got a slide, I think it says something like that, that... Christ, he, the one who brought life at the incarnation, the one who produces life, Jesus, brings all this life, creates it all, sustains it all. He's the one that makes life, becomes a man, subjects himself to death, so that those who produce nothing but death, which is all of us, could be made alive. The one who makes life subjects himself to death, so that we who do nothing but produce death in our sinfulness could, by looking to this one, be given life. The creator of life subjects himself to death so that those of us who can do nothing but produce death could know life. He's going to give up his flesh for the world. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. In John 6, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus knows from the beginning what his purpose is. It's to give up his flesh. is to die on the cross for the deliverance of all those who would believe in him. John 14. Just a couple more places. You still got your Bible out. John 14, you know this passage. This is page 1070. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus puts on flesh for the life of the world because he alone is life. He is the only way of deliverance from condemnation. He is the only way to acceptance with the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only hope we have of acceptance before the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know this life? Do you know Christ in this way? This joyous reality that you as a condemned sinner, Christ comes so that you might know the acceptance of the Father. You might be forgiven. If you don't know Christ in that way, do not delay. Today is the day to trust, to look to, to look to Christ, to believe in Christ. So with all of this talk, all this talk about life, there's still so much death, isn't there? I mean, it's going on all around us, and it's the future for every one of us sitting here if Jesus tarries. How does this truth from Jesus help us in the face of that giant and crushing reality? Jesus is the life. Well, it's, it's a fun thing to say, but we have a real issue of death on the horizon for each one of us. How does this reality of Jesus being the life help us in the face of of the terrible reality that we all at one point do confront our own death. John chapter 10, last passage. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says this, My sheep, this is in, he's 
arguing with someone, but he says of his people, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Those who are Christ, those who have looked to him, those who have trust in him, those who are his by faith, they will die, but they will never perish. They will not perish. Perish meaning destruction, taken to oblivion. They may die, but they will never perish. They will not suffer this complete destruction. Christ is saying that though everyone listening to him talking will die, they go through the veil of death, they will not be destroyed. In fact, so great is his promise that he says, even as they go through the veil of death, there's no way they have left the grasp of the Father's hands. This is the eternal life Jesus has come to give. We cling to that reality with all of the energy God can provide you. When circumstances go wrong, when life goes upside down, when joy seems miles away, remember the incarnation of Jesus. Remember that he has come into the world so that sinners might receive life and not condemnation and <coughs> support, uh, encouragement, encouragements of all encouragements, not only to give life, but to guarantee that there is no way you could ever be taken out of the grasp of your Father's hands. Life has come into the world so that those who are believing can rest forever in the grasp of the King of Heaven. Let's pray. Father, I desire that this joy is the joy of everyone listening this morning. The Word made flesh. The Word was life. You came so that everyone believing in you, repenting of their sinfulness, confessing themselves as a sinner, would not know condemnation, would not know the condemnation, that Christ, you took our condemnation on the cross for us. And God, I pray that we would see this and know it and rejoice in it, that through the receiving of our condemnation, we have forgiveness for our sins. We are reconciled to you. We are given life. A life that guarantees that no matter what may come circumstantially in our future, we will never perish. And nothing can take us out of the grasp of your hand. Give us eyes to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.